Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, welcome to another episode where we are talking about the Bible in a podcast format. Daily. Podcast format every single day. Without fail. Yeah. God willing. God willing. We've done it so far. I'm impressed, honestly. We've made it. I don't even know how many episodes. I lost count. I don't know either. Yeah. But hey, happy Sunday. It's the Lord's Day. It is. You should be preparing to go to church or, or you just got from back from church. Or yeah, or you're at church right now and listening and you should be tuning into the sermon. Well, it depends on what you're saying. <laughs> talking about what are you talking about right now that's what i want to know uh i'm talking about sin and mm. conviction mm. and repentance mm. yeah that'll get my car revving there we go yeah we uh it's uh, sunday it's a good day we, we got thanksgiving week coming up this next week oh yeah what are you yeah. thankful for man give me give me a quickie what, what are you thankful for like give me one of your top 10 uh not to be sappy but man our church body like i was i was thinking about that today oh um, so sappy. Today being yesterday, being today Saturday, because uh, we yeah. are recording on a Saturday. Men's Bible study was this morning, which went really well. Yeah. And uh, fun. great message on love from you. And then we just had a good time with my community group guys just talking and uh, going through the discussion questions. I just, I'm think I, I feel like we're at a unique stage with this church wherein everybody's here and it's simple in a lot of ways. Like what we're here to do is, is very simple and it has to be because we're brand new. And I think people are here willing to be open and honest and transparent. And mm. Mm. I'm, I, I don't want to take this season in our church life for granted because I've been a part of a lot of churches that are, you know, as you grow, I feel like that gets harder to do that. I, I think it gets, there's a simplicity about our church right now that I really appreciate. And I appreciate the, that a part of that is the relationships and the depth of relationships that are being formed right now in the infancy of this church. And that's really special. I, I agree. There is something, I don't know. Um, it's the organic nature of it. It just doesn't feel like it's got any frills. I mean, it's not like a, you know, ho-bunk church in the middle of nowhere, but right, right. we're just not, we're not where we came from. And not that that was bad at all, but this is just different. It just feels so much sweeter to, to start from, nothing you know air quotes nothing it's not nothing nothing but it's it's starting from the beginning and there's a sweetness to that i agree i'd have to say the church does play a role in in the things that i'm most thankful for i wouldn't even be here if it weren't for our church it wouldn't even be i would never have left california i I love texas though and i'm loving the change in the weather i'm thankful for that i'm thankful for the people that we're here with i'm I'm thankful that we're building relationships with people and i don't know in in ways that I, i wouldn't have been able to had we have still been there so i'm tremendously thankful for our church body as well um, less and less sappy than you did, but I'm super thankful for that. I'm, I'm grateful. I'm going to eat turkey on our behalf. Actually, if I can avoid turkey, I'd much rather have a steak or chicken or almost any other meat besides turkey. Really? Dark meat turkey? Okay. It's doable. But of all the meats, I would never eat turkey on my own accord. But you do at Thanksgiving. Yeah. It's, thanks, it's a tradition, yeah. but it's not because I like turkey. Like I'll eat it and I could be fine with it, but I'm not going to go out of my way to choose it. I think in part it's because turkey's such a hard bird to to get right. It dries out so easily, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and yes, to to get good 
turkey is is hard to do. It's not massively flavorful all by itself. And that's fair, but I don't like the flavor of chicken either. Like I kind of put poultry in that general category. Like chicken is not a tasty bird. Mm, I guess you know that's a that's a fair point. Yeah, I, it, I, the it chicken needs, thighs are pretty good, but it, but it needs something. It needs barbecue sauce. It needs marinade. It needs something like. Like the rotisserie chickens from Costco, I get that they're dirt cheap, but man, they are gross. Like just the taste of chicken is just disgusting. Uh, well, okay. We diverge at that point, but I do understand what you're saying. It's, yeah. it's not the most flavorful meat. Maybe it's just because I'm more used to that. Yeah. I still think it's more flavorful flavorful than turkey. Tur- turkey, I mean, to your point, it is a hard meat to make. There's different ways of approaching it. I haven't tried a beer battered chicken or whatever. I, I heard that could be good when you fry it and stuff like that. Yeah, I think those are different things. So there's there's okay. beer frying your turkey, and then there's there's beer chicken that you're talking about, which is a beer chicken, a different thing. They don't do beer turkey. Nope, nope. <laughs> Maybe someone ought to try that. Yeah. Maybe I accidentally invented something amazing. There you go. You should do that this year. Buy I don't even know how to make a turkey. Get a twelve pack from a, a grocery store far away turkey? that nobody is going to see you buying a twelve pack of, of beer. And uh, just dump it in the turkey and throw it on the grill and see what, what happens. Well, I don't even know what kind of beer to buy, bro. I mean, we're just. It doesn't even make sense. I will buy a turkey. And you know what? If Hutchins sells turkeys, I'll buy that turkey. Yeah. Well, and that's that's the thing. Like smoked turkey, good barbecue smoked turkey is is really good. Is it really good? It's really good. I'm but gonna, it's, I'm it's good because that. it's infused by the flavor of the, the smoke. So you like the smoke. And it's cooked well. Like Rudy's, Rudy's turkey sandwich is pretty good overall. But you, but would you choose that first though? Like you, there was like, there's several layers of meat that you would go through before you like, okay, I guess I'll try the turkey today. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. It's not top on my list. Right. You'd yeah. be like, oh, sir, we're all sold out of the other things. You could either have turkey or a vegetarian sandwich. Yeah. You still might choose the vegetarian sandwich uh, before you choose the turkey. No, no, I'm, I'm going with the turkey at that okay. point. Yeah. I would too, but I'm just yeah. saying it's not, it's not going to be the most favored meat. That's true. Let's change the tradition. Let's change subject to the Bible. That's a good call. Ezekiel chapter 20 and uh, 21, 22, 20, 21 today. Not 22, 20 and 21. Uh, Ezekiel 20 opens up in August of 591 BC. Um, That's really cool to me that we can pinpoint not just the date, but also the month in a lot of these instances. And so that's kind of cool. Just a reminder of the historicity of the Bible that this is... uh, not like Captain's Log, Star Date, twenty fifty four, you know, with Star Trek. It's like this is a reminder that this is history. This is these are things that actually took place, um, and so that we're in five ninety one B C. So uh, again, the destruction of the temple takes place in five eighty six B C. So we're about five years, give or take, away from the final destruction and, and Nebuchadnezzar's breaking down the walls of the city and everything else. But um, here in, in chapter 20, it's it's kind of a history lesson that God goes through with the people through the prophet Ezekiel, where he reminds them of all of the times that they rejected him and spurned his counsel and spurned his his warnings and uh, that they rejected. They did not listen to him. Uh, the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. The children rebelled against me. Verse 21, just a repeated theme over and over and over again until you get down to verse 26, where it says, and I defiled them through their very gifts, their offerings, the firstborn that I might devastate them. I did it that they might know that I am the Lord. So that's kind of the culmination. God is saying, I'm giving them over and we're in the midst of the judgment right now. Remember there's three different deportations and so we're in the midst of all of this, and he is saying, I'm doing this that they might know that I am the Lord. And it's anchored in the fact that they were a rebellious people. And so there's no option for Israel to say, uh, "Why? Are you, this is an overreaction, God. Basically, he's cutting their legs out from under them on that point in this chapter. 
Yeah, kind of arguing like a lawyer, making his case against them. I, I, I found two sections or two verses, verse 9, and I forget where else now that I'm looking at this, but verse 9, I acted for the sake of my name, um, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations. He says this again in another part of the chapter here. Uh, oh, here we go. Verse 14, for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations. Um and in verse 22, number three here, but I withheld my hand and acted for the sake of my name uh, again. So one of the things that you notice here, and this is again why I appreciate our church's stance on this, we, we intend to have a high view of God. We want to keep that, fortify that, want to build that because God has a high view of God. And that's going to be important as we make our way through consecutive chapters of Ezekiel. And even as we think about the the unfolding nature of God's interaction with Israel and the nations, um, it is so important that you maintain a, a an understanding of God that elevates Him beyond the human level. Because as we enter again into some of the coming upcoming chapters, it's going to be important that we remember: okay, why does this make sense? Well, it only makes sense if God is God and we are man. It only makes sense if God is high and exalted, and that He's acting for His name, His honor, His glory's sake. And if we really believe that everything is about His glory and honor, then the things that happen that need to happen for that to be the case, we would say, okay, not my will, but yours be done, Lord. So don't forget that. It's important. He acts for his name's sake. He acts for his glory's sake. And this is righteous of him. For him to do anything less would be unrighteous because he is the most worthy of all beings in all creation. He must get glory because of who he is. Right, right. The rest of chapter 20, uh, again, as is this rhythm that we've kind of gotten into here, he looks forward to a time when there would be good again for Israel and he's going to accept their offerings and he's going to accept their sacrifices again. And, and, and that's not in the immediate future, that's in the, the distant future. But first, there was going to be this purging, verse 37. I'm going to ma- make you pass under the rod. Uh, pass under the rod. There you go, Pastor Rod. There's another reference to your name there. My name is all over the Bible. It is all over. And I will bring you into the bond of covenant. I will purge the rebels from among you. So that's what they're looking at in the imminent future is the purging of the the wicked and the evil. But there's going to be a time in the future uh, on his holy mountain, the mountain, the height of Israel, the mountain that's about to be defiled by Babylon as they come in and destroy the temple. There's a future yet that's going to happen. And so there's the, the silver lining, so to speak, in the rest of chapter 20 there. Chapter 21, then, uh, summary for me on this one is, it, hey, it's it's too late to turn back. The sword has has been drawn, and that's the, the imagery here. It's been unsheathed, and uh, it's not going to be resheathed until it's uh, accomplished its its purpose, its end. And so it's over. It, it, this is it. It's it's going to happen, Israel. Um, this is not, look at verse 13. It will not be a testing. In other words, this is not a, a small trial in order to try to turn you back, in order to try to bring you back. This is it. No, this this is the final blow. I'm going to vent my full wrath, as he has said time and time again. This is not a test. This is now, uh, this is the full, there's your name again. This is the full rod of the Lord that is going to be poured out upon them. Uh, Zedekiah, again, is put in the crosshairs in verse 25. And you, O profane, wicked one, prince of Israel. That, that's referring to Zedekiah there, um, as the, the prophet is speaking there, uh, God's words of judgment. And and yet, then he turns his attention to the the, the nations here, and, and that's going to be a common theme in the chapters to come. He turns to Amnon or Ammon here, and he uh, he says, "Hey, don't don't get too much pleasure in watching me judge Israel, because you're going to get yours too, man. Uh, this is there's enough judgment to go around for everyone." Um, <laughs> But uh, the the verse that's so chilling to me is verse 35. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have forgotten me and cast me behind your back, you yourself must bear the consequences of your lewdness and your whoring. Uh, What a a terrifying 
image that is casting God behind our back. That's uh, that's not uh, the right chapter. That's uh, I was going to ask you what verse are you Dude, looking at? I grabbed <laughs> I grabbed and I turned and it was uh, it was chapter twenty three. So that's coming. So there you go. You get to that's a terrifying verse. It's in the future. Just worry like, about what it between on, now and then. What did I miss? Yeah, I, I, there's I not even thirty five like, verses in chapter like, twenty one. This, this is not happening. This and unless they sense. were reading their Bible with you, they probably didn't even notice. Ha! I was testing you. It was all that's what it was. That's what it was. No, it wasn't. It was just me grabbing two pages instead of one when I turned it. That's the danger. The of a, hazards of, a of using and an, a Bible that's paper. Yeah, and a book like Ezekiel where I don't know it well enough to be able to know. That's Wait a the minute. wrong chapter. Yeah. yeah, I mean, in, if we were in Ephesians and it was like Ephesians chapter seven, I'd be like, that's that's not right. Do you have that's, Ephesians seven in your Bible? I do. It's mm. a super Bible. Okay. Uh, yeah. So that's chapter twenty-one. Pastor Rod, thoughts on twenty-one? <laughs> uh, my 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 heart I broke, and I don't know. I, I felt connected at verse six. Um, God calls Ezekiel, son of man, says, groan with breaking heart and bitter grief, groan before their eyes. And when they say to you, why do you groan? You shall say, because the news that is coming, every heart will melt and all hands will be feeble. Every spirit will faint and all knees will be weak as water. Behold, it is coming and it will be fulfilled, declares the Lord. So instead of, I don't know, it's, it's interesting because God knows it's going to happen. He knows why it's going to happen, but he doesn't call us to be dispassionate about it. It's not like we're, it's not like we're hearing the evening news and saying, oh, that's a bummer that this thing happened and this other situation took place. He's like, no, um, he, he wants Ezekiel to demonstrate a, a true and godly sorrow in, in connection with and in unity with his people. And I think that's appropriate I think it's appropriate for today. We're not Israel. We're not uh, We're not like them in a lot of ways. But I would say that when I hear about the nation's depravity, when I hear about the wickedness of our rulers, it is appropriate for us to say, I, sh- I should be sad about that. I should be bitter in soul for that. I think back to when when God says to, those, uh, to the angels, when he's going to go wipe people out, like, I should be groaning. I should be groaning in sorrow for the sadness of what's taking place. So when God issues judgment, and we don't always know when that is, it's hard to know in today's day because we don't have God's word to tell us this is judgment versus this is something that God is using to awaken people. That's a a complicated discussion. But nevertheless, I appreciate the call for Christians to have tender hearts. I don't want to be rejoicing over the downfall of my enemies, God's enemies, that is. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting though. I, I think that the groaning needs, is is more about the rebellion than it is the judgment, right? Because if we fast forward, and, and not to jump way ahead, but it, it, chapter twenty four. Spoiler alert: Ezekiel's wife dies, and God says, "Don't mourn for her." Right. So there, it's I'm going to bring judgment, and I don't want you to mourn over my judgment. So I think there's an element to where when we see the judgment of God poured out. There is an element to where we need to guard ourselves against the mourning of the judgment because the judgment is ultimately just from God, right? It's, 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 we don't want to give the impression that his judgment is somehow unjust. We mourn that which brings the judgment, but perhaps not the judgment itself. I don't know. I I don't want to split hairs too finely there, but it is interesting that in just two chapters later, he's going to tell him, don't mourn, don't mourn. Is it possible that God interacts with them differently on different occasions? So here it seems like he's asking them to to grieve over that because he goes on to say, well, he can't answer, why do you groan? He says, because of the news that is coming. Every heart will melt. The hands will be feeble. So it seems like he's connecting the grieving to what's about to transpire in in the judgment. So perhaps it's multifaceted. There are times when we should not grieve and we should rejoice in God's destruction of the wicked, which is, is really 
the final state of things. Yeah. We will rejoice yeah. someday when God does enact full and complete justice. We won't be grieving because he's going to wipe away every tear from every eye. Um, but here it looks like there is a sense that he calls us to that. All that to say the Bible is complicated sometimes. I think our sin complicates it for us. We It, it bl- blurs our ability to see more clearly. If we were God, we would be like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, but we're in good company because Peter said there were things that Paul wrote that were hard to understand. That's true, but I want to I excel Peter, so. <laughs> <laughs> you want to be like John and run past him? That's right. Yeah. Don't you do it. Yeah. Hey, uh, let's flip to our New Testament then, James chapter one. All James, right. brand new book. Book brand of James. New. Brand new book to the Bible added this year. Brand new. Yep. I hear Martin Luther is not going to be a fan of it. <laughs> he never was. I don't know if he if and if and he ever came around. I don't know if he did. He called it a right strawy epistle. Strawy. Strawy. It's one of the hardest words to pronounce. Straw like as though it is like straw. Oh, okay. Strawly? Not non substantive. like S T R A W Y. I don't know. Strawy? It's a word. That's I don't know. It was a word with Luther. Okay. At least the English translation of the German. Probably sounds better in German than it does. In, I sure hope so. Yeah. Hey, the book of James, written by the half-brother of Jesus, the uh, head of the Jerusalem church, we think sometime likely around the Jerusalem council time, so sometime in the 40s there, A.D., uh, at latest it would be early 60s because that's when James was martyred, so sometime in that window for sure. Uh, it's written to those that are of the dispersion, which is an interesting phrase, but this is not written to a specific church in a specific city, but to believers who had been scattered, uh, likely due to persecution. Uh, it was not favorable to be a Christian. Think of the reign of Nero. Think of the persecution of the church there in Rome and in surrounding regions. And so there were believers that were displaced from their homes. Some believers displaced from Jerusalem also due to persecution therein. And he's writing a letter that was meant to be circulated throughout all of these different regions where the Christians were. So this is a letter that would have been read in many different churches and passed on to ch- from church to church to church. And so that factors into some of what he writes, including... One of the themes that comes becomes very evident right off the bat in chapter one, which is how we engage with suffering and trials. And this is a, a common verse that is uh, quoted in the church, and that is that, that we consider our trials to be joy. Um, consider it all joy. In fact, it's a, the idea here is it's a persistent joy, an abiding joy, not this flash in the pan feeling, but that this is something that resides because of what the trial does in our lives. And that is that it produces steadfastness and steadfastness makes us interesting phrase, perfect and complete. Now, not referring to our morality or our sinlessness, but our spiritual maturity, that a, a Christian who suffers much is typically a mature Christian. And I think I found that to be true by and large in the church. Those believers that have gone through it are uh, and come out the other side are, are some of the godlier people that I know and, and just have a, a seasoned and wise perspective on life. And so I think that comes from what James is talking about here. That's part of the joy that we have is knowing that God is maturing us as believers through the difficult things that happen in our lives. Yeah, man. Amen to that. The uh, the person that comes to mind is Johnny Erickson Tata. Mm. If you read her stuff, you listen to her speak, man, she she just radiates a kind of godliness that I, I, I envy. And hopefully in a godly way. Yeah. Yeah, she, she's got that. And I think you're exactly right. It's because she's been able to, to go through it and have the Lord refine her. Yeah. Yeah, there's the uh, address of wisdom here. Now, this is still in the context of trials. There's the person who's waffling between trusting in God through the midst of trials and trusting in himself. And, and that's why he's saying, if any of you lacks wisdom to be able to endure, let him ask God and God will provide for you. But don't be like one who doubts. Don't go back and forth trusting in the world, trusting in God. 
Fix your hope on God. And, and that's the person who remains steadfast under trial. Verse 12 is that one that fixates themselves and, and, and trusts the Lord. Uh, Psalm 1 was uh, one of the cross-references and one of the commentaries that I found there. And, and I found that helpful. Just that reminder of the, the man who is blessed is the one who is, who is not uh, worldly, but the man who is fixated on God and trusting the Lord. Um, Pastor Rod, let's talk through the the temptation paradigm here, the temptation uh, path that he lays out here. Okay. Uh, first off, he says, let no one say when he's being tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Okay, That's think, right. Amen to that. I think we understand that, right? I think we would agree with that. Verse 14, though, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then there's this chain. When desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. When sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. We've talked about this, I think, offline. I don't know if we've ever brought it up on the podcast, but let's do it. Nope. No, we haven't. Okay. Temptation and sin. It seems to be that there is a a progression between the act of being tempted and the sin that is committed. But there are others that would say the act of being tempted to begin with betrays the sinful desire. And so it's, it's inseparable there. How do we understand this? That would be my side. So I, I would argue that I think it's it's over translating or over interpreting James to to make a clear and decisive distinction between the temptation and the actual sin that comes from it. So for two reasons, um, number one, um, I, th- I think about Jesus himself, who he was tempted in every way yet without sin. Clearly, the kind of temptation that he experienced was not the temptation that I experienced. They're different. They have to be different. Jesus didn't have a sin nature that wanted, craved, or coveted things that were contrary to the Father's will. Uh, I would connect that to Matthew chapter 5. Someone has lust in their heart. Same word, um, desire, epithumia. Um, If they have epithumia, desire in their heart for something that's illicit, ungodly, that temptation is sin. Jesus says it's effectively adultery. It's just adultery in the heart, not adultery enacted. I think here James is saying something similar in that... um, what he's trying to communicate here is that the, the progression of the path of sin is that it starts in seed form and it develops in full force. But I don't think he would make a distinction between the actual temptation itself and the sin itself and saying, well, that one's not sin. This one is sin. And I, I looked it up and, and John Calvin said something very similar in his institutes. And so I feel, I feel like I have good company on that side, although I'm not a Presbyterian, I still think that that's helpful. So I, that, that's my stance on that. I think okay. if you're tempted, it's sin Yeah, because Jesus wasn't tempted that way. Yeah, difference in temptation there. I think that's helpful. Yeah. And in contrast to tempting us, what does God do? Well, that's where James goes next. He gives us good and perfect gifts. And so that's, again, correcting. And and sometimes we pull these verses out of isolation, out of context, and we isolate them. This is all making the same argument. God doesn't tempt us. God instead gives us these good and perfect gifts. And so one of the ways then we can fight against and, and battle temptation is through one of the greatest gifts that he's given, which is his word. And therein, we follow his line of argumentation here in verses 19 and following. He says, what we need to do is not just be those that read the word. We do need to do that, but we need to be those that read it and do it. And that is one of the greatest resources and weapons against sin that we possess is a, a robust knowledge of the scriptures, the, the sword of the spirit that is going to arm us to make sure that we are on guard against any temptation that the enemy would throw at us. Because the, the reality is every temptation that comes from the enemy is ultimately a lie at its heart. 
And the greatest weapon against a lie is the truth. And the greatest truth that any of us possess is the word of God. So a great reminder for us, if we want to be steadfast, the type of people that are going to be able to endure trials of various kinds, the type of people that are going to be able to withstand temptation, we need to be people of the book that are not just hearing it, but also doing it and putting it into practice. That's right. Now, I, I would... I hope this isn't skipping too quickly to the end, but here, verse 27, I want to point out something that we often miss as uh, 21st century Christians. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Uh, I think that's a call to us to to have a, a care and a compassion for the weak, the vulnerable, and and in particular, the, the well, the vulnerable, yes, but the outcast. The orphan and the widow represented that class of people. So yeah. Christians today easy for us not to see that or to to care about that. I think we need to care. I don't mean that I don't think that necessarily means that the church should have programs and you know uh, things like that, but every Christian should care and every Christian should be uh, convinced in their own mind of how they should respond to that. But we should care about that. Yep. Yeah. Well, hey, thanks for tuning in for a full episode here and we'll be back again tomorrow with another one and uh hopefully yes, you'll we join will. us again. See you then. Bye. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Thank you.